Okay, so uh, let's do a little bit of uh, review. Uh, the, the interesting thing about teaching a class like this is, you know, unlike the courses that George and I are most used to teaching where there's a set enrollment and so you know who you've got and you have them somewhat consistently. No? You don't take attendance? I do. But <laughs> Right, uh, somewhat consistently throughout the semester. I, 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 I see a lot of uh, new faces each week, returning faces as well, and so uh, it's often helpful to do just a bit of review. Of course, we've been going at this now for uh, almost three months, so there's a lot of uh, water under the bridge. But uh, recently, most recently, uh, we we're working our way through these learning objectives and last week we turned the page to this one uh, what did you learn to do growing up in your families in your church families as well what did you learn to do growing up to navigate relationships there's a childhood version of those behaviors there's an adult version of those behaviors so what are the current versions of those behaviors and how well are they working Currently, as a part of that conversation, I shared a table uh, that I have since revised based on some feedback from some of you who were with us uh, last week. This was the initial table, and I'll just say that the, the basic idea was each of us learn to do things to navigate, and in some cases we might even say to survive in our families of origin. Some of us learn to be the funny one. You know, and so we alleviate tension or stress with a sarcastic comment, with a joke. Some of us uh, learn to work hard and achieve and, and gain uh, accolades that way, right? Some of us learn to not be noticed at all, right? And those things that we learned when we were young, they, they, they were probably good strategies, right? They served us well. But sometimes in our adult roles, those things may turn into things that we didn't intend. And like I said, based on some feedback I got last week, I've made a couple of changes here. Uh, uh, Brian's not with us this morning, but he made a comment last week that uh, what he was observing was that this was suggesting these things used to be good things and now they're bad things. And that was not necessarily uh, the intent. In fact, we went on to say last week, and I think this was helpful in bringing some clarity to his question, we went on to say that any particular behavior may be functional on one level and dysfunctional on another. There's a lot of things we do that work in one way or in one context, but that same thing doesn't necessarily work in another way, in another context. And I think that's a pretty important point when we talk about the roles that we play, whether it's the roles we play in our uh, smaller family systems or the roles we play in larger systems like congregations, right? So, so to be uh, a, uh, a peacemaker, for example, certainly has its function, it has its use, right? It also can sometimes be problematic, 
when we are taking on the stress of others, uh, trying to act in a peacemaker fashion, maybe without sufficient boundaries. So any particular behavior may be functional on one level, dysfunctional on another. So to that end, uh, I want to try to bring a little clarity to this. So I, I've added this here, how it may have functioned growing up navigating in my family of origin, right? How it may become dysfunctional in terms of the roles I play in my current relationships. And I, I, I think it's important to soften that a little. Uh, also, I, I have made a change here because one of the things we talked about last week was how some of us learned the best way to navigate uh, our systems growing up was to look like we have it all together, to look good. And I had initially said that sometimes in adulthood that could become uh, deception. But in a conversation I was having with someone after class last week, um, you know, I, I think I rethought that somewhat. And I think deception might indicate a purposeful or malicious intent. And that's not necessarily what, what I wanted to convey. So maybe it would be more accurate to say, those of us who grew up learning to look good, in adulthood sometimes we may not intend to be deceptive, but we may still struggle with some inauthenticity, that, that ongoing need, that pull to look good and, and maybe to look better than I feel that I am, I might experience that as inauthenticity. So, so I did want to clarify and bring some uh, updates to that. Moving forward, this is not the only way to think about roles and what we learn about roles in our uh, growing up experiences. Other people have identified these other ways. Here's, here's a list from Norm Wright, uh, who has written extensively about family relationships. Uh, he, he gives some examples here of family roles where, where he assigns sort of these labels to them, right? So some of us in families uh, we grew up being the, the doer, the activator, right? Somebody's got to get stuff done, and maybe that person is me. Or we might have grown up with this role of the nurturer. You know, who do you go to when you're hurt? Who do you go to when you're in need of a little extra measure of care? That, that person may be playing the role of the nurturer in the family. And, and you can see other examples here, the loner, the hero, uh, which uh, I think is somewhat similar to this idea of the saint. Uh, the mascot, which again is kind of that idea of the, the person who brings levity, brings fun to the situation. You know, I, I compared that uh, last week to sort of the class clown in a classroom system. A lot of families and churches have these folks as well, right? Uh, some of us may have played a role of a manipulator, and not necessarily in just the pejorative sense or a negative sense, but, you know, how do we engineer things to turn out as best as possible? Some of us are critics. Some of us take on a lot of the strain and the stress of the system 
uh, even if it's not fully ours to carry in the form of a scapegoat. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, right? But th this is just one other offering of a way to think about roles because part of what we want you to do is to consider your own experience growing up and say, can I identify one or two roles that I consistently played as I navigated my relationships growing up? And do I see myself continuing to, to play those in some way? Do I return to those roles? Now, we want to consider a couple of issues when it comes to roles and how they are experienced specifically in a church setting. And I, I want to suggest, and I'm sure that there are countless ways in which roles could be relevant in a church setting, but I want to suggest a couple that we want to pay particular attention to. Roles may be especially challenging when we experience incompatibility with one another. So that, that's, that's one example of when we're, we might be uh, really challenged by our role. And or if we experience incongruence between our role and what church culture would um, suggest is the best way to be or the right way to be. Are there times where I experience my role as not really fitting in with what's reinforced, praised, perpetuated in a church context? So we want to unpack, start, starting today, we want to start to unpack uh, each of these. And so we'll start with this idea of being incompatible with uh, others around us in the church body. Now, for those of you that have not been with us before, uh, George is a, a theologian by training. He teaches uh, Bible in the College of Bible and Ministry at Lipscomb. Uh, I'm a marriage and family therapist by training. I teach in the Department of uh, Psychology, Counseling, Family Science. And in my role, I encounter this all the time in couples work. Just uh, yesterday, we had the merge premarital workshop downstairs. And uh, I came and talked to that group about personality types. And how do you navigate that? What's it look like when one of you is uh, very introverted and the other has a preference for extroversion? And how do you navigate those sorts of differences? And in the same way that couples and any of you who are married can, can relate to this idea that your partner maybe has some similar personality characteristics to you, has some that are different. Uh, in the same way, you may have grown up in a family playing a particular role and your partner grew up playing a very different role. And, and now, so you come from family A and they come from family B, and now we're making family C here, the joining of these two people to create this new family. And what happens when maybe one of us grew up in a system where what we learned to do to navigate and survive was to confront 
to pursue until we, you know, uh, we get some understanding of a situation, right? And the other of us, we grew up in a family where what we learned to do was to distance, right? To, uh, you know, just avoid to, to keep the peace, right? What happens when a confronter and a peacemaker find themselves in relationship with one another. As you can imagine, there's some predictable challenges with that sometimes, right? Just like that can happen in a family situation, it can happen in church. So I wanted to ask, uh, do, 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 does anything come to mind for you when you think about a church context? Roles that two people might have that seem incompatible. Any examples of that or stories minus identifying information that, uh, that anybody might, uh, that, that comes to mind for anyone? Have you seen this in a church setting? You're smiling? Have you seen I was, it? I was, I was thinking of something. <laughs> 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 right, well, let me but but have, just yes or no, have you seen it? Okay. Some of us find a greater comfort in things being decided and um, defined and decided, right? And others of us have a, a greater comfort level in ongoing curiosity and questioning and, you know, sort of poking at some of those things that might seem decided. Absolutely. And this, you see how that could be a real potential for conflict, right, among churchmen. Yeah, absolutely. Other thoughts on that? Yeah. Sometimes it's, I can see the different personalities, but also the same personalities, like especially oh. if you avoid, and if you have two avoiders, okay. you're not going to have that conflict. And I feel like sometimes in church, mm. well, I'm thinking back home, like, yeah. you know, my mom had tons of opinions, and she would speak all those opinions at home. Right. Not so favorably, right? But then go to church. Hi, guys. <laughs> and it's like, but wait, you don't like these people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we see that a lot of times. Yeah. Kathy, I'm so glad you said that because uh, we're, we're not suggesting 
that this only rears its head when pe two people are very different. There's a, there's a different kind, there's a challenge, a different sort of challenge, but there's a challenge when two people are playing the same role. So a, a great example, Kathy, if two people are avoiders, right, then that presents its own sort of, sort of issue, right? Uh, it's like I told the couples last night. Uh, again, we, we weren't talking about uh, roles. We were talking about personality type. But one of them asked the question, you know, basically their question was, so is the idea here to find someone just like you? I said, oh, that's, I can't think of a worse idea. I, I, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think the idea is to find someone like you. But the idea is to know here's sort of where our particular or, or maybe predictable issues are going to be when it comes to where we're different from one another. And here's where they're going to be when it comes to where we're similar. Um, I think the example I used was uh, uh, when two introverts marry, uh, there's no one to force them to go to the party. <laughs> you know? You need that extrovert to say, we said we were going to go, we got to go. Right? <laughs> yeah. And couples that, yeah, they, the, the, the two introverts that found each other, they cancel all the plans all the time. So. <laughs> um, yeah, a really important point. Okay, uh, George is going to talk a little bit about where this comes up um, when, when we were when we were talking about sort of where where we can really tune in and listen to scripture. Uh, there was a, a passage that clearly emerged here, and so I'm really excited to think about it through the lens of Corinthians. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me to think about. You know, whenever I hear therapist type speak I'm just like man there's so there's so much under the surface of my life that I don't examine <laughs> I don't really want to examine <laughs> and it's just like I don't examine this but um, I like to function just you know I'm normal I'm just a normal person right everybody should be like me because I'm just normal I'm like, why, are, why are you reacting differently than me because yeah. the way I'm reacting is the normal way um, so, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 was a passage I thought of in this idea of the church as a body. And uh, Paul, in the context of Corinthians, is, is writing to a church that's having a lot of struggles and a specific congregation, I suppose, although now that I think about it, it's, pro it's probably maybe a group of house churches in Corinth. I mean, it's hard to know exactly. I mean, I, we tend when we read the text to think of they're sitting in pews and they're coming to Sunday school, but that's not it probably at all there's there's maybe groups uh within within the city i mean it's hard to know exactly but probably in houses and you know how that changes all the dynamics but uh it seems like some of them were emphasizing things like tongue speaking and spiritual gifts that are more flamboyant or, or outward and then he's trying to say well you know not everybody has the same gift and you can't really choose what gift you get. It's, it's the Spirit who decides, God who decides through the Spirit. So, uh, and he's trying to say that the greatest of, of the gifts is love. So if you're practicing your gift in a way that's unloving, then that's problematic. Uh, so all those things are going on. And in that discussion, he uses this body uh, imagery. And he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. 
If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? He didn't mention noses, but he did mention smell there. Um, but, um, and so if, you're for, if we force everybody in the congregation to be the same, then we become this monstrosity of a dynamic eye or a dynamic ear. Uh, and so we need to recognize that we, we all have, that God can use our differences. Uh, and that's part of, you know, we don't have to do it all ourselves, but combined together we're stronger than if we're all the same. So it's kind of like the idea of having two people married that are exactly the same being right. problematic in yeah. some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So a few questions came to my mind as, we, as I thought about this connection. I wonder how you know, these spiritual gifts are related to our natural personalities or our natural family history and family background. Or must they be totally, you know, unexpected or supernatural in that in that sense of the word? Uh, and I know some interpreters say, well, if it's a spiritual gift, then it's got to be clearly something that you're not naturally gifted to do. And I've always thought, well, that doesn't totally make sense to me. It seems like maybe God can work through your background and give you certain gifts that are related to your personality or to your background. And I just want to open that up to you guys to think about that. And then connected to that, could our church of origin history also be a gift? That the fact that we, we do have different experiences that we're bringing together helps people see something that, that's a blind spot to somebody else. Uh, so a couple things to pursue there. But let me open that up, especially that first question. Uh, what do you think about God using your natural personality as part of your spiritual gift. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I guess I'm going to say I don't think I've ever thought of it any other way than that. Yeah. Because to me, if it's supernatural, you know, I haven't gotten that call yet. <laughs> right? So all I have to go on is, is who I am in my history. So that's that's it for me for the spiritual gifts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I would say the example of my parents and what all they did. And then anytime that any of us text on two, and yellow, and golden, every test I've ever taken exactly the same. Surprisingly, an extrovert. But anyway, so I think because of that, that is my personality. Well, my personality is so. Do you see your spiritual gifts related? see that with Paul himself, you know, as his, his experience of how he was, you know, he grew up as, as a Jew, but in Tarsus, he came to Jerusalem and trained, but he had that living among Gentiles in Tarsus, and that God used those gifts to make him a missionary to Gentiles, because he, he kind of had navigated some of that before. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, and I, so I have a question, George. You're, you're, what you're suggesting is that in among theologians, right, yeah. there is there are some who would say, uh, yes, our reading of spiritual gifts is they are related to some combination of nature and nurture, basically, right? But there are others who would say spiritual gifts are exclusively a supernatural yeah, process? Their read of it um, is if it's from the spirit, and I, I don't know what all the assumptions are here, but yes. if it's from this, I, it's almost like I've, I've heard people say uh, maybe in a fundraising campaign, we could have made the fundraising number this, this particular number, but we want to be sure that if, if we make it, God did it, so let's make it Millions more. So that, that's the kind of thinking that where people are like, if we're, how are we going to be sure that God is really behind this? Well, it has to be something that we couldn't have thought of on our own or we couldn't attain through our uh, natural abilities. I see. So it okay. has to be something that okay. goes beyond your natural uh, proclivity or something like that. I've always, that has always struck me as being counter to the way I think about it as God. You know, God is using us all the time. It's not like it's all us now, and then if we can't do it, then God comes in and helps out. I see God sustaining it through the whole process. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the supernatural in that case would be that we're all united and we're all following the same God. We're all following the same salvation. So together we do it even if it isn't something that would drastically exceed what our expectations is, right? The, the supernatural is that we've, we've all been sitting here worshiping for 40 years together, and the natural outgrowth of that supernatural cohesiveness is something more than we can do on our own. Does that make sense? I suppose a gift like tongue speaking or I guess they're thinking in those terms. You know, that's not something that that you could do naturally. But I do know um, this gets back to my my non-charismatic background, maybe. But um, (laughs) your church of origin, you might say. (laughs) Some mission teams I know that go to other countries. Some people with that team are really good at picking up the language and the culture, and they just—they can do that very fast. And I—I won't say that's almost like a gift of tongues, even though I know it's not exactly what's going on in Corinth. But um, it, it just would make sense to me that some that your natural aptitude would, would fit with your spiritual gift. Mm-hmm. Hey George, I may take this just completely off the rails here, but maybe just hang with me here for a second. I think. A lot of times when we think of spiritual gifts, we think about kind of a um, a singular, like, you know, well, your spiritual gift is this, and yours is this, and 
you know, when I read scripture and whenever I look at it, when God calls people, right, he equips them with whatever it is he's called them to do, right? And so I've thought about this a lot in the fact that oftentimes we look at ourselves, and I think sometimes we view ourselves as this is my thing. And oftentimes we wind up boxing ourselves into certain things. And what's interesting, I think, is as maybe my journey has progressed, my spiritual journey, I found that when I've been more open to just doing what God's called me to do and not really worried about am I gifted to do that or not, it's amazing how things happen, right, or they get done. Let's, you know, let's put it that way. And so to me, the supernatural part is, I think if you're connected with him and you're listening to him and doing what he's asking you to do, he does supernaturally, I think, gift you to do whatever he's called you or whatever that, you know, whatever that need is. And so, um, but oftentimes, you know, we kind of box ourselves into, well, this is my gift and this is really where I'm only useful. And what's interesting is, I think, God just wants us to, whenever he says, hey, I need you here, we just need you there and do, regardless of whether we feel like we're gifted or not. Yeah, yeah and there's definitely some things that we're all called to do, like, I, I don't want anybody saying, well, forgiveness isn't my spiritual gift, so, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Was that an option? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that. I, oh, I think man. I've heard that All right. But um, <laughs> and I, to me, the body, the body concept really helps with the idea of there is a sense which we're all, you know, we may be called to do some things that we didn't realize, and then we get the resources to do that we didn't realize we had. And there's also it's neat to think that God is using us as a church together. To do things that I, you know, I don't have to do at all. All the things um, to see ourselves more communally. We're we're in a very individualistic culture, but if we if we step back and see our congregation as a whole, with all the giftedness that people have, and we're all together in one body, then it's it takes some of the pressure off me that I have to do all the things to be all. The any thoughts on this? I, I, I love this second question. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, my church of origin affects me on this question. For, for example, when I went to uh, seminary for the PhD level at Trinity Divinity School, uh, it was the first school I went to that was not a church at Christ school. And one of the first things that, that they said just in the the welcome or something is you're all from different churches and we think that's great because every church has its own place you know every denomination has its own role to play in the larger body and I was like well, that isn't <laughs> 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 I instantly was like ah, I, I just gotta keep my head down get through this program and not, not let them know I think they're wrong <laughs> you didn't think about it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no transfer for other times. Um, and you know, there's probably still part of me that that reacts that way at some level, with some basic instinct. But um, but I'm more open now to the idea that that maybe God can work, and and, and maybe I, I definitely know congregations within Churches of Christ have different personalities. So. I'm, content with that. I mean, I've seen that, that there's, it's, it's interesting to think how a group 
takes on a certain personality. Yeah. And so, you know, all the congregations here in Nashville or whatever have, you know, would kind of have your, your ways of thinking about them. And then if you, but if you were to think about, could God work through other denominations as well? Uh, is there something about those denominational structures that attract certain types of people or that have a certain role within the body? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, it's a, I just open that up to your consideration. <laughs> yeah, great. So, and some, some people really be able to relate to this, uh, just because of the kind of work we do. So we had interview day for new student applicants for the master's program to do. Point of view about counseling, the same thing happens for marriage family. Yeah. But that process involves scrutinizing, look, and looking very closely at their background, what they like. And here, here's why I'm going about it. Some of the discussions we have about making offers and so forth, what always goes through my mind throughout the whole day is, and I convey this to students that end up being in my classes, I tell them multiple times, your background, your experiences, your family of origin, your church of origin, all those things together uniquely equip you to be, in this case, a therapist who will be unique in helping certain people at certain times with certain kinds of problems. You're all different. There's not cookie cutter therapists. They're all very, very different with different backgrounds, talents, all, all that together. And as I was thinking, this to this, that came to my mind. Can we look at this the same way or a similar way? I just a question. Pretty quick. Yeah. By virtue of anything. Yeah. I think here, this church of origin um, can definitely be a I mean, I was kind of reading that question more as, you know, as you think about your church of origin, and I think um, as long as you're kind of can be self-reflective, like I can look at my church of origin and see the really great parts of it that I would like to see in my current church, or that I would like to instill in my children. And I can also see the stuff that I was happy to leave behind. So I think yeah. And it's not to say that, you know, bad or good, but I think it just takes a bit of self-reflection to be able to say, or to recognize the gifts from your And I think that if you take it more of the denominational thing, I think it also, you know, requires that next level, next level up of saying, okay, I know I'm choosing my particular church because this is where I feel, Want to be or how I want to worship or whatever, but also recognizing that there are other churches that you know, have lots to contribute and may do it in a different way. And, you know, that's hard for church plants to sort of. Like you said, it's in our, in our, you know, deep down in there, it's hard to get away from that idea that we have it all figured out. Yeah. Did you, did you hear that, George? Self-reflection. <laughs> but we just read the Bible and do it. I mean, <laughs> these other churches just either they're not reading the Bible or they just don't want to do it right. <laughs> but it, 
maybe specifically, I know there's other denominations that have that same, we're doing it all right. Um, but that's such a big part of why we yeah. even exist. Uh, our basic existence is because we're doing it the right way. And if, if we didn't think that, then we'd be like, well, why do we exist? Then? Why not just go to a mother group? Um, so, yeah. Um, so I think my experience is actually the exact opposite of yours. Um, I, halfway through my childhood, my parents had a massive transformative experience. And so the, this class has been weird for me because I'm like, which one is my church of origin? Because oh. like, we went from one extreme to another. I, I want you to finish that thought, but that families of origin, some of us have had the same experience where we grew up in a family. There was a disillusion of a marriage. There was a remarriage. We could ask the same question of our families of origin. Which, which, which is it? Yeah. So pl please continue. Well, but what I learned from that experience, my parents were always big on, they don't, they never explicitly taught us religious stuff. Like, they modeled it. That was how they were. And for them, the search was the most important thing. And through that, watching them go through that, that transformation, Ooh. what we, what I learned, and believe my brother learned it as well, is that the search, the quest for God and the quest for truth is far more important than where we end up landing mm -hmm. in terms, and it's been, that's been valuable to me throughout my life because the quest has taken me, it's brought me here. I don't even know how I got here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, it's, but I, I also think that, I don't know, I, I deeply value that, um, that experience in it, and I feel like it helps me be, we have other things that make me a little more uptight about people who have different ideas than I do, but it makes me more willing to be like, okay, like, let's find common ground. And yes. I think I, that's valuable. I think it, I think it makes, uh, another word we might use is, is tolerance, but not tolerance in the way that we sometimes use it, which is, it makes me more able to put up with the rest of you, right? It's also, and this is a marker of differentiation, which we talked about earlier in this semester, it also makes me more tolerant of myself in the face of people who are different from me. You know, and that, that's, that's a real, I think, sign of maturity and growth is, can I tolerate my own discomfort? Can I tolerate myself in order to be in relationship with people who are so different than I am and with such different backgrounds than I have. Um, this, is, this is great. I, I really appreciate the, the, the comments, the conversation. Um, anything you want to add? Because we're, we're, at, we're at time. Let's pick up here next week. Uh, and also, we, we, so we've talked some about in, maybe a perceived incompatibility with people in church. But we, we also need to talk about the congruence or lack thereof with our past and our roles and what we think church culture requires of us. So we'll head in that direction next week. Thank you very much for being with us. Yep.